0: This is Self-Starter. Welcome, folks, to Self-Starter Season 2. This is a podcast that highlights the small business owners, the self-employed, and freelancers who have taken the plunge to create their own desirable lifestyle – My name is Andy Dowling. I'm also the host of the Andy Social Podcast, and I play bass in the Australian metal band Lord. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching at Andy Dowling, or you can go to selfstarter.com.au where you can learn more about me, as well as everything to do with the self-employment world. This episode is with George Fisher of George's Tech Repairs in Darwin. Now, George started his business at home by fixing his family and friends' mobile devices, and with a little bit of practice, George found that his skills could extend further than his inner circle, where he could actually start servicing his wider community. At the time, George had a steady and reliable full-time job that he'd been at for the past several years. He had gradually made adjustments and had actually started to negotiate with his employer to move to a part-time capacity so he could begin to invest more and more into his own business. With his family having many years of experience running their own businesses, George had the support and the guidance to ensure that he took gradual steps before diving in completely into the self-employment world. In the early days of the business, George found himself making house calls and setting up stalls at the markets to help the local area address any issues they had with their mobile phones and tablets. As things built, George set up his own location where customers can now come in, in addition to continuing to have presence at the markets and doing the odd call out. I'm sure many agree that technology, for many of us, can be a real nightmare, and the fact that we rely on it so much means that George is providing a really valuable service to others. Working in the technology field, however, George has challenges of his own when it comes to continuously upskilling himself with the latest devices and methods of repair. He is constantly staying in contact with the online tech communities and learning to ensure that he stays relevant and in constant need of his customers. Now, customer service is a big part of George's success to date, and whether it be the after-hours questions, the call-outs, and other above and beyond help, George knows that he needs to take care of each person who chooses to come to him over a competitor in the area. With this approach, George has built loyalty, repeat business, and growth. It's all good news. As George sets his eyes on the continuous, uncertain future of technology, he is not staying married to the original concept of the business. George is constantly keeping up to date with not only the changes in the technology world, but also customer behavior and what they will require in the future. Creating a successful business is the focus, and George knows that the ways to do it will always continue to change. To learn more about the business, go and check out the links in the show notes as well as Facebook.com slash George's Tech Repairs. But for now, please enjoy this great chat with George Fisher of George's Tech Repairs in Darwin.
1: My name's George. I run George's Tech Repairs in Northern Territory. Um, It's just a one-man army. Um, We do tech repairs, yeah.
0: And how long's the business been up and running for? Uh, About two years. Awesome. So... Looking back a little bit, what were you doing before this business came to be?
1: Um, so I started as an apprentice uh, carpenter at about 16 years old. Um, I did that for about 10, 11 years. And then I started fixing my own stuff just as a side hobby. Um, just had a couple of broken phones at home sort of thing. Started on the kitchen bench. Um, and then work started slowing down and the hobby started taking over. And yeah, sort of transitioned to that um
0: yeah had you ever had any sort of experience just doing something yourself as far as like your own business or anything like that or is it um, sort of just this natural so you, you fell into it more or less
1: yeah i think that was more like it um so with the uh, obviously working as a trader you know there's not really much to do with business you just go get, get away sort of thing um but no it definitely was difficult changing from hobby to an actual business um because yeah didn't become less fun it just became a lot more serious a lot more um well, I had a mortgage at the time, I well, still do, so I couldn't really muck around. I had to be, you know, one hundred percent committed, sort of thing.
0: Did you have like a bit of a light bulb moment where you sort of, you know, as you said, you were tinkering around, repairing your own stuff, uh, you know, in, yeah. in spare time? Did you have, did you have a moment where you sort of thought, "Geez, I need to, I need to make a big decision here. Like, can I, can I do this on my own and, and make this into something?"
1: Yeah, I've done electronics before. I did a little bit, um, like uh, car audio, car stereos. Like, I love that sort of thing, and. Um, just I try and go as far as I can with everything I do um, and sort of with, with work it started slowing down and then the boss is like, oh, do you want to do it sort of half, you know, do like part-time? And I remember working, doing a bit of landscaping as so we'd finished up the job we were on, just finishing off sort of thing, and then doing a few days a week in an office and then a few days a week on site, I kind of realized that it was much nicer to be inside because in the territory, the weather is yeah obviously very hot and very humid. Yeah. Um, so that was a bit of a turning point. And then to be able to make more money and work for yourself, yeah, it sort of made my mind up pretty clear, pretty easy.
0: It must have been good to have your boss to be able to sort of, you know, obviously understand from his point of view that, you know, work was drying up a little bit, but to give you sort of the freedom to be able to split it down, down the middle and, and give yourself an opportunity to sort of go out and, and give this thing a shot.
1: Yeah, very. I'm very grateful. Um, he's a multimillionaire and he's just a normal guy, like very humble, Um, Drives around Little Barina, but has a very, very, very flash Rolex that his grandfather gave him. Just very humble. And he started out like me, you know, I guess from the bottom and then worked his way up and ran this obviously um, massive building company. And he could see that I wanted to do it. And I guess being in business himself, he knew what it took. And I I don't know. I'm very glad that they could see it. And there were, um, I guess, uh, happy for me because uh, I, I felt bad leaving. That was my first job and spending 10 years with them, that was all I ever knew, you know, 50 hours a week, six days a week and I was – I started as a kid pretty much and then to leave, you know, leave everyone behind was was hard but I think I made the right choice. There's no hard feelings. I still go and see them
0: all the time. Yeah. Did In those sort of early moments where you're sort of, you know, splitting your time 50-50 and trying to get this this business up and running, did you – did you sort of lean back on him a little bit to get advice and guidance? I mean, given, given his background and his, and his success was, did you have him or other people that were sort of, you know, people um, that you lent on?
1: Yeah. My whole family run businesses too. Like my old lady's a debt collector. She's been doing that for 30 years. Um, my uh, family are lawyers and they've all run their own business at one point or another. And I did ask them all the questions because everything was new to me, how this is supposed to work. and. I just wasn't sure, but yeah, whenever I had questions, everyone answered me, and um, yeah, I just there's obviously to run a business is hard, but like to actually get skilled along the way and to run it all yourself is obviously on my back. But the day to day runnings and things, I could I could ask him. I haven't had to pay wages yet, which I'm happy about. But he did say, you know, when you do that, you'll know. And all we went through paying you guys and all that sort of thing.
0: What were what were some of the things initially that you? Well, a little bit of a surprise as far as challenges in the, in the early stages, where you sort of realised, oh, geez, like I didn't realise that, or wouldn't have expected to have to think about that when you're launching your own thing.
1: Uh, I guess cash flow, um, and I guess not being paid by the hour. So when we work normally, you know, you can expect a wage, you can you can budget, but when you go in fresh with nothing and you're not sure what to spend your money on to get started, to keep stock, because um. I found out that you have to spend money to make money and you can't take on jobs unless you've got parts, if you've got things to, to carry on with, you know, you need to have supplies there. And that was hard initially. Um, so I did borrow money off my, I think it was my auntie. She gave me about a thousand dollars to start up, just get some parts in, you know, what people are wanting, a little bit of retail. And that was enough to get me sort of started. And then I had a month's annual leave. So that kept me going. Um, to pay the mortgage and stuff and and then it just took off from there. So yeah, I, I was doing it as a side business before obviously finishing up with work. So after hours, my clients you know, would come around, I'd do it at home and um, so that they were all still there. So that was good. And then when I went full time, um, I could obviously cater to a lot more people and I already had sort of a good name at, at that point. So I think things just started snowballing for me, which is good.
0: How did you get your name out there to begin with when you were doing it part time? Was it just you sort of you're in a circle and you know, acquaintances and mutual friends and things like that that you sort of started your business around, or like, get your name out there?
1: If you can offer things for free, people will often take you up on it, even if you're terrible at it. So, um, when I first started doing it, I did it for free for people. So, I'd, I'd supply the parts, I'd do everything for them, pick up, drop offs, whatever, just to get more experience. And then when I figured out, I could get better at it, get faster at it, and then I started charging money. And yeah, I just sort of build my way up, I guess. Was it
0: was it was there a bit of a strategic move on your behalf to to offer you know your services for free? Was it primarily to get upskilled, or was it also to sort of get something in return, like you know, obviously like testimonials or you know, good word of mouth or things like that for your own reputation? Was there sort of a bit of a strategy, or do you just sort of I don't know. I think a lot of these things that I see when I talk to a lot of people that are starting their own business that you kind of fall into a lot of stuff as you go and you sort of work things out and you go, oh, that feels right or that sort of works. But did you have a bit of a plan? Because that's a really – that's a a particular thing that a lot of people would struggle with, especially when they're sort of trying to balance – this new lifestyle where they've got a you know as you mentioned before you've got a mortgage already so you've got debt hanging over you over your head um but to yeah. make that decision to offer at least some of your services for free i mean that's a that's a gutsy thing to do but it makes a lot of sense
1: it's hard because you've, you you don't want to obviously work for nothing forever but to get that experience and to upskill and to get you know just your name out there you've got to start somewhere other businesses have been established for many years before me and they would have to start the same, same thing. Um, but to be more attractive in the market, you have to offer something. Um, and, yeah, I think just friends were happy to help me out and as I was helping them as well, you know. Um, but I didn't really have a plan, to be honest. I just said, like, one day I, I wanted to leave and I felt very claustrophobic at work at one point. Like, I felt like that's it, my time's up. My business has taken over. Um, why am I quoting during the day in the hot sun <laughs> when I could be working in an office doing these people's jobs? I'm turning them away. So the wage was good. Like it was uh, over 100K a year secured. I, I could have stayed there. But it was just I think um, I was a bit over it. And yeah, the whole free thing, I don't know. Like I guess I could afford it because I was still working full time. Mm. So I do jobs you know, until 10, 11 o'clock at night. Um, basically the kitchen table was just a mess <laughs> there was stuff everywhere um, but yeah I think for the purpose of upskilling and getting experience you have to sort of take a loss at the start if people don't trust you they don't know you and it, it can backfire because you can get a lot of people taking advantage of you if you're doing it for nothing
0: oh, um, absolutely but you
1: gotta, you gotta be careful
0: yeah it's, it's, a, it's a fine balance and I think psychologically a lot of people will resist um, going down that path of offering things for free because I think a lot of us are sort of you know, built up, and we we grow up with that sort of exchange—you uh, know, goods for uh, money for services or, or for yeah. goods or anything like that. So it's it's always yeah. like this mutual exchange. And but um, I think a lot of the time, you know, there's a lot of non-monetary things that are just as valuable as as cash and so for for you you've obviously seen the bigger picture there but did you i mean what was that conversation like with you know with that that inner circle with friends when you're offering these you know these free repairs or or whatever you were doing with um you know all these different people were you sort of you know i guess softly asking for you know their commitment or, or maybe setting expectations for next time saying hey i'll give you a i'll give you a freebie now but um you know next time you know this is what what I'm looking to charge or how did, how did those conversations take place?
1: Um, I remember saying, you know, to people that I'll do it for nothing the first time. Um, and it was still a hobby at that point. So I was, I wasn't sure if I was going to do it full time yet. Mm. Um, so I could, you know, do it for nothing and not worry about it because, you know, in a few months time I could be doing something else. Um, but yeah, I think I just told people one day, Oh, I'm fixing phones or I'm fixing computers or I'm fixing this today. Like, I'm looking to get parts in, what do you guys want me to do? Like what can I help you with or is there broken things that I could maybe have a look at opening up and repairing? Because that's the best way to learn. And um I used to tell them like the next step if I'm not gonna fix it and if you don't wanna spend the money, you're gonna throw it in the bin. Like to save on e waste and other things like that. Let me have a go at it. If I don't fix it, you're no worse off, you're gonna throw it away. But if I do fix it, you've got something that you can either keep, resell, hand down, whatever. So that was you know attractive as well for people to to recycle things um but yeah i think i just said one day on oh, I'm, I'm doing this as a side job and then it just started snowballing out of control and
0: yeah it's it's quite interesting just the way you've explained that then because you know if when i looked at your business name and i had a bit of a sticky beak you know if i look at it very literally it's you know you've got a device it needs to be repaired and that's it but as you said you've you sort of opened up the The thought a little bit to sort of think well, whatever you do after that is sort of beside the point. I can sort of get your phone or your device working again, and then you've got the flexibility to do a whole range of different things. And you're sort of selling a number of different possibilities, so people aren't just haven't just got the tunnel vision of one particular thing. Because a lot of people might, you know, they crack their phone or something goes wrong, and they're already they might know that it can get repaired, but they're probably already getting over it. They're already thinking about that next shiny phone or whatever. So for you to be able to say things like, you know, recycling, um, being able to, to on-sell it and make a little bit of money back or things like that, you, you're just opening up, you, you're almost um, leading people along a path in a really good way that opens up their mind to a lot more possibilities. And obviously for your from your point of view is it's quite beneficial because you open up a number of different options where you're able to increase your business as well. So it's it's quite creative in a way because a lot of people would just think it's very a very straight transaction. I'm repairing something and whatever you do after that, well, whatever. It's it's not my business. I'm just repairing your, yeah. repairing your phone or device and that's it, that's it. Yeah. I mean, technology is such a hard thing and yeah, you know, phones are changing all the time, technology in general, computers are just, I mean, yep. I, I, I struggle to keep up with anything. And from a repairing point of view, I could only begin to imagine the nightmare of constantly trying to stay up to date with with all the stuff that's happening. Apart from, you know, physically working on these things and, and being exposed to them as people bring stuff to you, um, what other ways or what other methods do you use to try and keep yourself fresh and upskilled with with all the technology that's constantly changing? Um,
1: so I've done a few online courses just in electronics and uh, a few other things, but they're very dated very quickly because nobody's opening up the newest devices to show you the internals. So you've always got to look at forums. Um, you always wait for people to make mistakes on their own things or other things that they've just bought and uh, give you some insight into what's happening you know, in the world of repairs or in issues that are coming up. Because as most um, you know things progress, you've got to, Follow it, and tools change. Um, things as simple as screwdrivers change every phone. Mm. You've got it. you got to keep ahead of it all the time. And if you're if you're behind, people will go somewhere else, and you lose that customer. So I watch forums. Uh, I'm a part of them. I've got colleagues in interstate. Um, I'd say Facebook contacts over in America, in China, like there, and they've got different phones to us. Sometimes they've got you know they're different market, but they release phones over there faster than I guess we might get it. Um, so I guess you just got to watch and try and pick up what's happening. Like, uh, people are pretty quick to point out, um, issues with phones and stuff like that, That it's very widespread. So when someone has an issue, they put it on the forum, you learn from it and you can see, you know, this might affect my job. I've got to take note of it and tell the customer to come in, possible outcomes. It's yeah. And some companies put in. Um, I wouldn't say failure points, but it's almost like that in some of the devices. You've got to be very careful when you're doing things, and um, not to blame it on, you know, the ghosts in the phone. You want to know exactly what the problem is, so you have to stay educated and stay ahead. Um, so yeah, just a lot of reading, a lot of um, taking things apart, a lot of upskilling, um, trying to push the next level. Because I can see other people that are better than me, and I want to get to that point. So I see what they're doing, and I see the tools they use. So I might buy the tools they use, and then attempt the jobs they're doing. A lot of times there's no documentation of what they've done or how they do it, but you can sort of see what they're doing and then you try and get it, see where you've made mistakes. And it's just like that. You just try and keep up with everyone else who's, you know, ahead of you, I guess.
0: I mean, you mentioned before about having other businesses out there that you've potentially got to compete with and – I mean, what's your point of difference compared to some of the other guys out there? Like, have you looked at what the other guys are doing similar work to you and thought, I can yeah. either do a better quality or provide something more than what they're doing? When, what sort of approaches have you taken just to sort of separate yourself and and get your own name out there?
1: So I'm pretty nosy when it comes to people um, and what they do and how good they are um, because I, I want to be the best. That's, that's what I'm set out to do. So whatever it takes, I'm going to get there eventually. Um, so I've... Looked up personally, everybody in my area within 50 kilometers or whatever. I know who they are, how good they are, what their business is, and you know what they're about, sort of thing. And I've seen gaps in what they do. Uh, One way to find out, like, how you are as a business is to look at people that have had bad reviews and how they handle it Mm -hmm. and what the issues with the customers they've had. Sometimes customers are are a pain, you're never going to please everyone, but if you have got simple issues that you can't fix because you don't want to or you're stubborn or you're things like that, the customer will leave and you get a bad review and things like that. I wanted to start at a high level and keep that, which is why in only a year or so of full-time work, I've surpassed everyone around me in reviews, likes, whatever. Because to me, it's like this is how it should run from the start. Um, Be as good as you can, do the best price you can, be a, you know the customer service has to be a top notch all the time, and I've just seen other people fall short in a few areas where they could have you know taken the phone apart again, fix something small, keep the customer happy. Um, and yeah, I just I just saw that gap, and I thought you know what are they doing wrong, and why are they getting bad reviews when the skill level should be pretty high? They've done it for many years. Um, they've got big shop fronts. They've got employees. They're obviously doing well, but the reviews are bad. Um, it's even up to the point where, like, the, rep, uh, the reps for some brands up here, like Apple and Samsung, they're getting bad reviews, and I'm fixing some of their work. Like, I'm a nobody. Why am I doing, why am I fixing things that you're making mistakes on? And it's just, I think, if you care um, and I'm more, and more personable, maybe customers like that and they come back and you get a better rating. I don't know. Like, I haven't done anything different, I think. I've just tried to treat people the way I want to be treated. and if I was a customer and I don't know, like, but I, I figured out quickly who everyone was and how good they were and I wanted to be better and I'm always trying to buy better tools and more, you know, higher end, like we've got levels in this sort of thing. Like, you know, in technician, we call it level one, two, three or four, whatever. And your level one would be something like, um, have you tried turning the phone off and on again? To put it simply. <laughs> yeah. That's sort, of, that sort of technician level. We help desk, you know, troubleshooting. Got your level two, which would be like you know changing a battery, changing a screen. I'm I'm putting it now in phone terms. Um, level three would be board level repairs, um, and that's probably about as high as it's going to go. And then um, I I can see where other people are at, and if you can be better than them, you can take their work away. Not in a bad way, but you can sub it. You can you can get their work they can't do. So it's it's beneficial for you to upskill. I will just saw a gap and I'm like, I want to fit in here, be better, better service, and people should spread the word for me and be fans. And I shouldn't have to advertise. shouldn't have to really bust my ass and, and put my name out too much if people are going to tag me and everything now. And that's just yeah, how
0: I started it. I think um, oh, there's a few gold nuggets in there, especially where you, you're talking about sort of looking to see what reviews other businesses are getting because I think It's funny, like so many of us, whether it's business or, you know, my background playing music and whatever, whatever it is that you're passionate about or you're immersed in and you want, you want the secret sauce. You want to see why people are doing better than you or, you know, you, you want to aspire to something or a particular level of achievement and you're looking for what makes them good. But sometimes, and you've nailed on the head, looking at bad reviews, you're almost uncovering more secrets that way than, than the other way. You know, you're seeing where where the holes are, where the gaps are and what you can do that they're not doing and customers are truthful they're they're putting it out there and and yes, as you said before, some can be an absolute pain and a nightmare to deal with but a lot of people are pretty genuine and if they're compelled enough to write a review online it's it's going to be fairly genuine whether it be positive or negative. so you know for you to have the awareness to be able to sort of go, all right. Well, I'm going to read these reviews and see where I can actually improve on what they're doing. Um, it's 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 really really good because um, that's it doesn't have to be rocket science. It can be something very simple. Yeah. And as you said, it's not that you're doing anything drastically different to anybody. You're just you're you're really sort of becoming aware of the customer and and treating them like you would want to be treated yourself. And um, that's quite powerful. And that's what breeds loyal, loyalty.
1: Exactly right. You want to breed fans, basically, that are going to go, you know, they don't owe me anything because I've, they've paid me. So, but they want to tell their friends how, what happened or they want to, they'll help advertise for me in their own way. And that's powerful. Like, people pay money for, you know, SEO is obviously, mm, people yeah. pay money for that. They pay money for Google reviews, they pay money for um, Facebook likes and stuff. But if you go on a page or a, a buy swap and sell site and someone says, who can fix this? I get tagged in it five or 10 times, and I'm the only person that gets tagged. And people do it. I don't know if it's friends doing it to take the piss sometimes. They just keep adding a plus one, plus <laughs> one, you know, keep putting on there. But Facebook sees that, and your recommendations get boosted because they're random people that aren't associated with you, and your rating goes up sort of thing. Um, but, like, I, I ask customers if they've had complaints from other shops. I say, what, well, what, like, what was it? And they say, oh, they didn't communicate. They didn't answer messages. They didn't get back to me, and it's like I'll reply back in the middle of the night if I have to to get a customer. If if you know if they're in a rush or whatever, like Facebook gives you a rating when you don't reply back quick enough, and I didn't want that. I didn't want to lose you know your I guess responsiveness and things like that. So it's as simple as reply back to a customer. You could lose them, um, and I think Facebook's also made us too accessible. So you have to reply back very quickly or they'll go somewhere else, but I'm happy to, um, yeah.
0: Well, I was going to, I made a note to talk to you about your Facebook page because um, when I was having a look, I went, oh, geez, like there's a, there's a tech repair business that's got like over 1,500 likes. I think you got something like 1,600 and whatever at the moment. And you got over a couple hundred recommendations on there as well. And, you know, as, as you just said, I mean, you pretty much explained it, but, you know, a lot of people can go out there and, and fabricate their way and create their own sort of perception of what their business is. But, I mean, what what you've created, and I've looked at some of your posts as well, they're quite informative, they're visual, you're providing lots of different insights. I saw yeah. one where you had like, you know, a bit of a dodgy repair and this phone that was opened up and just looked like it, I don't know, it's seen the inside of a microwave or something, I had no idea. But it but it got people engaged and people are interested. And, and obviously, as as you've been saying, like it it breeds loyalty people are compelled obviously getting that great service from you and interacting with you that they're they're motivated to make the effort of you know tapping a few buttons and clicking the mouse or whatever or you know on the phone leaving a review somewhere and um some people just will bend over backwards trying to desperately get people to leave a review i mean even for my podcast i'm desperately trying to get people to leave recommendations on my facebook page but it's um it's really, really powerful. And obviously the more that that's on there, then the more likely you're going to continue to get more business and more recommendations. Cause it just further legitimizes what you do.
1: It's a hard game to play because you don't want to put um, clickbait on there or spam people and go something political with it, people, people talking, you know, uh, current affairs, you want it to be relevant to what you do. Um, which is why I try and mix a bit of humor in there as well. You know, if there's videos online of people dropping their phones in soup, like it's, hmm. It's related, it's funny, but it helps you advertise because they see your name. Friends might tag each other and go, oh, look at this, this is funny. Oh, he fixed this something. Oh, my phone's broken. You want to funnel customers at the same time, but you have to make it relevant. If you're just posting crap about politics and things not related, you're going to get comments, but not, not what you want. It's not the right ones. So it is a, it is a bit of a funny game. But I've I've done a, a job for a guy, literally it was 20 bucks, something like, Taking a tablet apart to change a battery in it. If other some people they didn't want to do it because it was difficult, but I just thought it's simple. I'll do it, and that twenty bucks has gotten me about a hundred recommendation posts. <laughs> Every time he sees it on Facebook, he comments, "Go to him. He's the guy." And he owes me nothing. He's my biggest fan now, and it's just like crazy. You know, you do something small for someone, and it just pays off a million times.
0: Two years in, you've done a lot. You've got a location, you get out there and still, you know, uh, service the community and provide all these different services. You build connection, rapport and loyalty online and, yep. and in person. But what's what's the next goal for you? What's the next challenge that's that's in front of you that you're sort of eyeing off? And obviously there's this just never, it will be never ending uh, battle of upskilling yourself, but yep. what, what are you looking at? Like what's, where are your sites, uh, you know, focused at the moment?
1: It's hard to say. Like, There's machines out there that are making life easier for us, um, disassembly machines for phones because they've made these new iPhones out of glass. I'll use iPhones as an example because the majority of my work is that because it's, the, I guess, the biggest market share. So there's expensive machinery you can invest in to make your life easier, to make it faster. That sort of thing is a goal of mine to, I don't know, I guess branch out offer more services for other businesses, so, so business-to-business stuff, mm-hmm. get their work they they don't want to do and they can't do. Be the market, so be the I guess market leader in that, the industry leader I guess in that respect. But also, phones are changing, the display technologies are changing. They're becoming very very expensive to fix and very expensive to buy. So, I mean, the family business is still there. If I see an opportunity to take over, so I can let my old lady retire, I would do it. It's it makes a lot more money than I do, but I'm happy doing what I'm doing now, and we'll see like you can't stay stagnant. If, if the technology is becoming too expensive, the customers aren't going to be there to fix stuff. Insurances are going to be taking all your work away from you. So you've got to be careful not to invest too much. I think, um, but yeah, if I see an opportunity to leave and and take over the family business, I will. I'm happy where I am now, but I can see the technology is changing and it's about customers. If the customers aren't getting things fixed because it's too expensive, you can't help that. Um, but you just got to be aware that, yeah, things aren't going to be the same forever and technology changes and you want people to spend money with you and you got to make it worthwhile. So if you can't offer a repair purely because technology is changing, then you miss out. And, yeah, I've just got to keep an eye on it and and be careful, I guess, not to invest too much into it. But, yeah, I don't mean to sound um, like uh, melancholy or anything like that, but it's like I can see and I've only been there two years that, you know the golden days of doing repairs and unlocking phones from networks and just silly things like that that were good money makers have all disappeared and with the way the technology changed, like OLED for example in your Samsung displays and your iPhone and the iPhone 10 series the screens are ten times as much as they were you know a year ago mm. how can we afford to market that to a customer the the it's just not you know not viable so The tech giants are pushing us out of it, but in saying that, China have been in the industry selling parts for fifteen or eighteen years. They're not going to all fold. You know, there's ten or twenty thousand repair shops across the world. They're not going to all fold. There'll be something to go on with. So, but I've just got to be aware of it um, and try and keep it viable.
0: I mean, it's definitely not a melancholy way of looking at it, as you said before, because it's actually really refreshing because. I think a big thing with being self-employed or having your own business, it's such an, it's an emotionally taxing thing to do because you're getting out of your comfort zone. You're putting yourself out there, your own reputation. um, It all falls back on you, um, you know, make it or break it. And so as things start to work and fall into place, you know, it's not even conscious. You start to just subconsciously sort of um, become married to the concept that you've created this, this, This this beast that you've 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 uh, created from nothing, and for you to be able to say, and have the awareness to be able to see, well, I can see where technology is going, and I can see the challenges ahead of where this could potentially negatively impact me. But I've got the flexibility in mind to know that I can change and go in a different direction. If and when that time comes, and for you, I mean, even just in the last two years, no doubt, and I'm I'm definitely speaking on behalf of you now, but I'm I'm having a guess that you've probably learnt more in the last two years than you have in a long time about that self reliance on yourself, learning the skills, discipline, you know, business uh, business skills, and all this sort of stuff, customer service, all that kind of stuff, and you've probably had touches of experience over the years growing up, especially in your household with family uh, having their own businesses over the years. But for you personally to be at the forefront of it, um, you probably learned so many skills now that are going to be transferable into any line of work that you decide to do moving forward. So whether it's the tech business, uh, tech repair business, or it's something completely different, I mean, this this moment in time is is really, really important. So it's, it's cool to hear you say that because I think that's quite refreshing for a lot of people that feel that they're going to have to commit to something long-term when they probably don't have to.
1: Yeah, like I went from kitchen table to micro soldering under the microscope yeah. in a year full time, which wow. people have been doing it for 10 years don't even want to get that far with it. Yeah. They're happy just to do the basics and make a living off that. But I can see how things are changing, and I guess uh, don't get too far in if, if all of a sudden it comes crashing down. Things have been good so far, I guess. We've just got to keep riding it.
0: George, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And all no the worries. best uh, for what the future, future brings. Thank you, Andy. more about George from George's Tech Repairs, you can click through to the show notes on your favorite podcast player or head over to selfstarter.com.au where you'll find more details from our guest as well as my key takeaways. Number one, is it time to negotiate? George had been employed for quite a number of years and as he built his repair business, he began to transition away from the stability of his traditional job. Rather than jump ship straight away, George was able to negotiate with his employer to go to a part-time capacity. That way, he was still contributing, he was earning a steady income, but he was also opening up his time to be able to focus on and build his own business. Now, if you're still working for someone else and have plans to start your own business, look at how you can think outside the box and negotiate with your employer. Taking the sacrifice of full-time income in exchange for more time to work on your craft could be worth far more than any short-term cut of pay that you could take. Number two, offer services for free. A great way to build your own skills and reputation in the marketplace is by offering freebies or significant discounts to people. As you are looking to create a name for yourself, build trust and reputation, you're going to have to find ways to incentivize others to use your product and service over others. Naturally, you have to be mindful of your financial situation and prepare accordingly. However, if you are factoring specific amounts of time and resources to do this in advance, it will be manageable and return a lot of benefits. Number three, learn from others' mistakes. George spoke about reading the bad reviews from local businesses who might be competing in that same space. This is a really great strategy to identify what your point of difference is in comparison to your competitors. Criticism is such a valuable thing where it can provide insight into where the gaps in the market are. Often, most pain points stem from basic customer service skills, which of course are easy wins. Through the frustration of other customers, you'll be able to see how you can potentially wow your own when you connect with them. Number four, stay flexible. George has a great outlook on his business as well as the industry. He stays up to date with the market and pays attention to not only what the technology giants are doing, but also how the customer's behaviour changes. A sure way to have your business completely burn out is to stay fixed on your original concept and not evolve as the market changes. In George's example, the future may bring an unwillingness of customers to have their phones fixed due to rising costs. George is keeping a really close eye on this and is always keeping backup plans in place just in case things change too dramatically to keep the business sustainable. And that's a wrap. To learn more about this episode and previous ones, go over to selfstarter.com.au. If you want to have a squeeze at my other podcast, the Andy Social Podcast, or maybe the Band Lord, or anything else that's happening in my world, you can go over to andydowling.net. Looking forward to having you back for the next episode of self Study. Larry. Larry, please.